0: Welcome to the Heaton podcast. Uh, We're very much enjoying having you listening and having you commenting on our podcast and we're always eager and pleased to hear from you. And we're just giving you a little trailer episode here ahead of some special guests that are going to come on the podcast in the next few weeks. So some of you, I hope, have already heard the Simon Weston podcast, which was fantastic. Uh, John, that was a really fun podcast to do, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was was wonderful. The only drawback was that you weren't involved with it, Ollie. But I thought uh, uh, Simon Chapman stood in manfully. And, yeah, Simon was incredibly inspiring. I mean, it was a real history lesson. It took me back to the period of the Falklands War. uh, But hearing about um, his road to recovery and the subsequent reconciliation and the life lessons he learnt uh, really was wonderful, I thought.
0: It was a good listen, and I, I enjoyed listening to it, even though I wasn't there. But now we're looking forward to three, I suppose, quite politics-focused podcasts, really. Uh, and we've got some Olderikians coming in to talk to us about their experiences in recent times. So the first of these is Michael Cox is going to come in and talk about the 2019 general election, which he had a in. And we also, don't worry, folks, we're also going to get someone in from the other side of the aisle to uh, discuss the Labour uh, situation. But uh, we've got... A very prestigious guest coming on the podcast this Friday, Sir Anthony Selden, former headmaster of Wellington College, but also a noted historian in his own right. And he's going to talk about the, how it's very difficult to be a modern day prime minister. His book is called The Impossible Office. Is, it, is that the correct? Yes,
1: absolutely, mm-hmm. Ollie. I mean, he he takes it back through 300 years of British prime ministers, going right the way back to Robert Walpole. And it's full of, you know, really interesting comparisons between prime ministers. I mean, it's quite a, you know, quite a, quite a rich comparison between Robert Walpole and uh, the current, uh, current prime minister, Boris Johnson. Um, for those of you listening, perhaps, uh, you know, a few weeks time, to whether he still is the current prime minister. Well, uh, we're not sure at the moment, actually, but very interesting comparisons. Uh, between, comp- uh, between prime ministers in his book.
0: So this takes us back to a, a podcast we did in May or June with you. You and I were sitting around a table with Robert Hudson and we discussed, can Labour win the ge- next general election? Hmm. And the conclusion we came to was no. And we felt that it was too much of a mountain to climb. And I think I've been quoted and saying in that podcast, it seems as though Johnsonianism is here to stay. It's not the case anymore, is it, John?
1: I don't think it is here to stay. I mean, it does show the dangers, doesn't it, of um, of, being a, uh, of being a commentator, being a critic. You know, we say things which we think are absolutely true. And then, of course, as Harold Wilson said, a week is a long time in politics. Well, if a week is a long time in politics eight or nine months is an absolute lifetime. And you know, so much has changed. I, but I agreed with you at the time. It seemed that you know, Johnsonianism uh, was here to stay. And I don't think we're saying that today. I think Prime Minister's question time has just kicked off. The, the grey report is going to um, come through, we believe, today. I'm not really sure uh, where we're looking at now with the future of the Prime Minister.
0: Well, that's a st- stunning change, isn't it? I mean, he won that big majority... He's led us through Bre- uh, sorry, Brexit, I suppose he has led us to, and more. Think- I'm thinking of COVID. In some ways, I've had quite a personal relationship with Boris Johnson compared to other prime ministers because he's the man who's there leading the briefings. But it's, yes, he's fallen in support. I was listening to Steve Baker, uh, the Conservative MP, yesterday giving an interview to Nick Robinson's Political Thinking podcast, which is a really good podcast to listen to, actually. Uh, but he seemed to be saying uh, it was checkmate for Boris, was what he felt. And his time is up. I mean, he's a much diminished figure from that bombastic chap he won in December 2019.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the the, very interesting comparisons with the fall of Thatcher and what may well be the fall of Johnson, I think that the attributes which bring them up are actually those that in the end uh, bring them down. So for Thatcher, it was her, her determination. But of course, that in the end led to stubbornness, and I think it was her stubbornness that led to her downfall over things like the poll tax and Europe. I wonder whether, paradoxically, it's the same for Johnson. I mean, Johnson's great um, selling point in politics has been his jollity, his devil-may-care approach. The fact that let's not take things too seriously, we'll get through this together with a laugh and a smile. Well, I think that's probably what's been happening in Downing Street for the, uh, the last uh, year and a bit, And I think now the jollity, the excitement, is coming back to bite him because people don't want people to be jolly and exciting all the time if they're going to be breaking the rules at the same time. So I don't think he can laugh this one off. We we used to really like his jollity. I think now it could be his jollity that's going to bring him down because on this one, he didn't really care enough. And this is a big issue for the British public. And it's one that I'm not sure we're prepared to forgive him for. What do you mm. think, Ollie?
0: I mean, it does seem odd, doesn't it, that the party gate, as it's been referred to, I never like the use of gate, no. really. I mean, for the younger listeners, a uh, gate, of course, comes from Watergate, doesn't it, mm. John, which is the hotel which led to Nixon's downfall. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just all very bizarre, really, that this is what's bringing him down. But yes, it is his attitude and his ideas. But in some ways, it feels as though nothing's changed. We've always known
1: that he's like this. That's a really interesting point, Holly. I mean, but again, there are comparisons with Nixon. I mean, if you think about what happens at Watergate, um, people working for the president in, isn't it, creep, the campaign to re-elect the president, steal uh, secrets or documents, perhaps I should say, from the Democrat Party headquarters. I mean, Nixon doesn't order it, but he then covers it up. And people working for the president regarded Watergate really as, as, as a small potato. This wasn't a really big issue. We'll just cover it up. I don't think Nixon took it very, very seriously. And I think there are really interesting comparisons with the Johnson. I, I mean, I guess having a party during lockdown is a bad thing to do. I mean, it is not something that is um, so huge that it would send a prime minister to prison. But at the same time, I think it's that attitude that we are above the law, the fact that actually different rules apply to us and we will manipulate the rules to our advantage and not really have to worry about telling the truth that's what brought nixon down at the end and i think it's also what's going to be doing for johnson
0: there is a rumor so i know labor have asked asked called for many times on twitter and such things that the prime minister should resign there are some mutterings that Labour would prefer Johnson to remain as leader yeah. to face him in the next election.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's the irony of it, isn't it, really? I mean, if you go back to 1919 Neil Kinnock is calling for the resignation of Margaret Thatcher, uh, the best thing that could have happened for Neil Kinnock was Thatcher staying on as a wounded leader. I certainly would have won the 1992 election against Margaret Thatcher. The best thing for Labour is to wound the Prime Minister, but not to kill him. I mean, a wounded Prime Minister is what they want to face the next general election. But I didn't even know whether Johnson was actually intending to fight the next general election.
0: Ah, oh, well, that's always been rumoured. He's not that interested in the job, isn't it? Um, well, so what's he trying to do to defend himself? Well, to take the heat off, he's starting to rekindle the fires of culture wars to a certain extent, um, attacking the BBC, Uh, Nadine Dorries was doing for him which always strikes me as a curious one because I always think of the BBC as a fairly conservative institution but elements of the Conservative Party don't like attacking institutions enjoy attacking institutions and and
1: that's not new they see it as a kind of haven of the liberal intelligentsia and I think very often when politicians are in trouble uh, they seek to divert attention and they seek to divert attention by attacking popular enemies of theirs I don't think it's working very well for them (laughs) Uh, but it's something that conservatives really quite like to do. If we're in trouble, we'll attack the BBC.
0: So we should, of course, while we're on Culture Wars, John, we should come back to our own Culture War here in the Heated Podcast in statues. <laughs> so... Statues again. <laughs> With... Statues. So we have, uh, I'm the roundhead.
1: I'm the cavalier.
0: <laughs> Iconoclast, happy to uh, <laughs> smash down whatever. Whatever religious icon is up there. Yeah. Uh, and we have seen an, an icon removed. The statue of Colston was mm. dumped into the docks of Bristol, yeah. your hometown. Yeah. And the four people who we were put on trial for it have been found not guilty. Um, as it were, appealing to a higher, a higher, was it higher law or higher cause? I can't remember the phrasing now. Yeah.
1: I mean, you're right. I mean, they, they were appealing to a higher, a higher law. And I remember when, when, when they said that, it reminded me, I mean, we're both teaching the um, origins of the American Civil War. It reminded me very much of, um, William Seward when he talks about slavery may be guaranteed by the Constitution or acknowledged by the Constitution, rather, but it is against the higher law of God and man. And I think this is what the Colston Four were doing that, um, the statue was so offensive that it was against the law because people walking past it were being offended all the time so that what they were doing in pulling it down was a lesser crime than the offence that the statue was giving would you agree with that ollie
0: well that's their defense isn't it yeah (laughs) You know, I'm quite comfortable with the idea of taking statues down. Uh, I mean, I was looking back at our last period of iconoclasm, mm. big period of iconoclasm, which would be the 1580s to the 1640s. Yeah. Uh, where lots of religious icon icons were damaged, taken down. I mean, even White School actually was a victim of this. White School was based up in the Lord Les yeah. Hospital, and there yeah. were lovely um, murals on the walls, yeah. some of which were destroyed because White well, was a parliamentary town. Yeah. Uh, some of those destroyed, and I think quite a lot of things were stolen by the parliamentary soldiers from White School. So white has been a victim of it to a certain extent, uh, as a school. But I'm, you know, I don't mind societies making out their mind who they choose to venerate on a statue and who they don't. And a mob pulling down a statue, toppling a statue. I mean, it reminded me a bit of Saddam Hussein's statue coming down in Iraq. Yeah. Which, I'm then aware, actually uh, in a huge amount of violence and death and destruction, which, that suggests iconi- taking down iconi- iconoclasm. Struggling over the word iconoclasm is not the best of things to do, uh, but I kind of agree with the sentiments. Is that?
1: Yeah, no, here. no. I, th- I, th- I think that is coherent. I think that's logically coherent. I mean, I think one can take a statue down. I'm very uncomfortable with a statue being pulled down uh, by, I-, I would say, a mob. Because how do we know that the mob actually represents the point of view of the nation at large? I mean, there hasn't been a referendum on it. The mob takes it into its mind, its collective mind, to pull down a statue. I'm, I'm, I am very worried about that, actually, because, you know, who, who gets pulled down next? I remember very vividly during that period of the Colston statue being pulled down that then there were demands for other statues to get pulled down. And uh, one of the people they wanted to really pull down statues of uh, was William Gladstone. And I actually got very cross about that because um, Gladstone is the great liberal reformer of the 19th century. And if I'm going to go into culture wars here, when the BBC reported um, attempts to pull down statues of Gladstone, they said that this was a British prime minister who had supported um, the slave trade. And absolutely right. He had supported the slave trade when he was in his very, very early 20s, uh, because his father had made money out of the slave trade. But Glaston begins on the extreme right of the Tory party and ends as the great liberal statesman of the 19th century absolutely condemning issues like slavery and advancing the cause of human rights in his last governments. So to judge Gladstone purely on what he says as a very, very young man, and then to miss out everything that happened afterwards, seems to me to be using history and iconoclasm in exactly the wrong way. It's a very easy thing to pull down statues. But sometimes when you pull down a statue, you don't actually engage in a debate because you know you're right. Even if perhaps the evidence doesn't doesn't support what you're saying.
0: Yes, I, I definitely see that. I mean, there's, there's an arrogance. There was a I think lot to of it. debate about Colston, and they wanted him removed. Yeah. And
1: that, that, you're absolutely right. There, there had been a lot of debate about Colston going back 15, uh, 20 years, and um, it was
0: controversial when it was put up in 1895.
1: As yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, and Barry, Barry Williamson, if you're if you're listening in in Bristol, I remember you got very angry about this because you've been campaigning for 15, 20 years for it to come down, and when it was pulled down. You were you felt vindicated because the authorities hadn't done it, and the people had at last achieved what the authorities hadn't. And you know, maybe you know, I, I can see what you know. I can see what you mean there, Barry. My concern with it was that when you actually have the the, the statue, when you have the statue of Colston, it it was actually very close to the statue of um, Edmund Burke, and I quite like the fact you have this um, paradoxical um, approach on College Green, where you had the slave trader, philanthropist, essentially opposite the great opponent of slavery, um, Edmund Burke. And when I saw those two statues together as a youngster, I remember thinking, well, I know whose side I'm on. And it made me think a lot about Bristol history. I think the danger is if you remove um, the bad aspects from your history, you can become complacent about the future. I don't think the statue was making me feel well about Colston. But equally, it made me think about Bristol's past. Having said all of that, I think I would have removed the statue. But I was myself uncomfortable with the mob doing it. I think I'd have waited for the authorities to have done it.
0: Mm. It's, yeah, it's a fascinating debate, isn't it? I, I think it's one we're going to keep coming back to. Um, I mean, one of the points to make about statues, I suppose, is a lot of people ignore statues. You know, A lot of them are just not... We've got these iconic ones. Yeah, uh, Parliament Square is a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Is that where Gladstone statue is in
1: Parliament Square? Um, no, he's I'm in Westminster n- West n- Abbey. Th- yeah, he? I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah. the one they were thinking of, I think, was the one at the Gladstone Library in mm. Harrodon. There's a, a very famous statue of him outside the Gladstone Library, which it which would be outrageous, and I will say this, it would be completely outrageous uh, for that to be taken down, because again, I, I remember when I took a trip there years ago. Um, One of the great things about the Gladstone Library is that it's based on Gladstone's books, um, his own personal library. And when I was there, there was a book which he had clearly annotated himself. You always know it's a Gladstone book because uh, he would have put an index at the back of it in his crabbed writing. And the book actually is a, um, a slave woman recalling her life in slavery. And in the book, she writes at one point, I believe that one day the equality of the black and white races will be acknowledged by everybody in the world and by God. And Gladstone's double-ticked that. And you can tell it's Gladstone. This is a man who changes. If you take down the statues... You sell your history short, I believe.
0: Mm. Well, there we go. I don't quite agree with that. I, I see the removal of statues as an historical process. It's keep an engagement we're... with history. Anyway, yeah. this is a
1: I, 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 I'm not even sure Edward the Confessor is safe <laughs> from this man. There are two statues. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be shading myself to them soon, OK? <laughs>
0: yeah, is it, yeah. I won't be taking down the Edward the Confessor statue yet. we we'll, uh <laughs> Yeah. We'll set up a kangaroo court to
1: discuss it, it, Absolutely. <laughs> and we're not buying that statue of John Calhoun, which I'm told is up for sale, actually. They're selling off John Calhoun statues. And I'm certainly not going to be a buyer of those, so, yeah. actually. I
0: suppose it hmm, seems a dangerous. Where does it end up? Anyway, yes, thank you for listening. Um, so the, the podcast coming up are the key ones. Uh, the first one you'll hear is Michael Cox talking about the 2019 general election and whether the Conservatives can win the next election, which is a fascinating... Listen, albeit a bit, um, how should we describe it? I, mean, I think I, he's quite... Um, <laughs> partisan.
1: I think partisan <laughs> is exactly the word. So when, when you've got these references to R and we, uh, we, are, we are not entirely... Um, <laughs> endorsing these points of view but as i say we're really looking forward um to having um some old warwickians who've actually worked for the labour possibly even the liberal democrat parties because one of the great things about being a school teacher is when you see your pupils go off and get involved in causes, and it's great that mike is so committed to the conservative party but equally there have been lots of warwick boys um in bunteridge if you're out there do tune in and uh, come back and talk to us who've worked very high in the in the labour party
0: Mm. There we go. Well, that bell means our time is up. And uh, please do listen in to our exciting podcasts that are on the way.
1: Looking forward to it, Ollie.
0: See you, John.